Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We are back after a one-week hiatus that I devoted to eating as many lobster rolls and fried clams as possible. But uh, we're going to do something a little bit different on the show this week. Instead of doing the news and the restaurants of the week, I'm turning it over to some of the organizers of Commune. This is the massive food festival that's coming to Houston, August 21st through September 5th. I have three guests that we're going to talk to you over the course of the next 30 to 45 minutes or so. Let me introduce you individually. Grover Smith, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Thanks for doing this. Brett Cooper, welcome. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Thank you. And then Tim Ma. Hi, how's it going? Thank you for having us. Thanks for doing this. Grover, let me just kind of start with you. Can you just maybe sort of talk about what Commune is and kind of how you got started? Because I I think it's safe to say there's really nothing like this that's ever happened in Houston before. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, So as you know, and the listeners may or may not know, I've been doing chef-focused culinary activations, as they say in the industry, but basically events for going on uh, five years full-time for about four years. And, you know, they're larger scale gathering in the scheme of, of, say, plated dinner events where we get typically 24 chefs together from all over the country for a kind of slate of five days of programming that's really geared towards more of the chef experience. Um, And then also learning about the markets that we're in. And it's an opportunity for them to meet like-minded folks that maybe operate in different or the same markets that they haven't had an opportunity outside of say a quick conversation in a bar um, to connect and become friends. And, you know, the goal being bigger than that, even, even better friends and advocates for each other. Um, And so I've been doing this for a number of years and in 2020, before the COVID shutdown, I had planned a 16 city tour um, of these, of these types of events. And in fact, the one, the only one that I held in 2020 was in February of last year at Tim Ma's restaurant, American Sun, um, along with Kevin Tien, who's the uh, co-founder of Chef Stopping API Hate with, with, uh, Tim. Um, and so obviously we, we stopped our tour. I did the one city and then I, I was a stay at home dad for a number of months, um, hanging out with the family. And I'd always had this idea kicking around in my head that I wanted to do a large scale gathering of some sort. Um, you know, food festivals are a big industry. It's a big business that happens all over the U.S. And I always assumed there was a way that we could do something more geared towards, you know, what I do in the Indie Chefs events and these smaller scale gatherings, um, but doing that on a larger scale um, with a focus being more around the chef experience about it being this kind of collaborative effort together. And so I'd had this idea for a number of years, never really had kind of an opportunity or necessarily a location where I figured it would work. You know, we'd looked at a chef camp and all these other kind of things like that. And you know, there was this kind of confluence of factors with COVID. And now the fact that the vaccine is widely available to to chefs and restaurateurs and their staffs for us to do something like this. And, you know, with the weather here and the fact that it's, you know, it's the summer, this is the first summer where there's an opportunity for this, I figured why not go ahead and do it now. Um, And, you know, kind of the, the beginning of this was literally me putting close friend stories on Instagram uh, to a lot of our chef followers that are friends of ours that follow our account to, to gauge interest. And it was such an overwhelming interest, um, from that community that I decided to go ahead and move forward with this idea. Brent, let me, let me bring you into this because you, you're an accomplished chef in your own right. You worked at, uh, Cezanne, a very famous, uh, three-star Michelin restaurant in San Francisco. You had a, a one-star, uh, Michelin restaurant of your own. Yeah. You're, you're involved full-time with, 
the Indy Chefs community as their director of, of chef relations. So just from your perspective as a chef, what what is it about this event that that's so appealing? What is it that that's drawn as many as two hundred uh, chefs to to Houston over the course of this this two week event? I think a lot of it goes back to what Grover was speaking to about the chef experience and uh, community building. And you know, I've been doing this event uh, since the first year of its iteration. That's how I know Grover. That's how I know Tim and a lot of the other people involved. And I've always had such a positive experience participating in it. Um, it's it's just a, a different kind of festival or event. Um, the the chefs are really well taken care of, as well as the guests. Um, there's opportunity for them to really kind of push forward on the narrative of, you know, equ- equity and inclusiveness and everything that a lot of us have been working really hard to further in our industry. And um, yeah, when Grover called me up, I was in between jobs recently and he pitched this idea to me. It sounded crazy at first, but I realized really quickly he actually, (laughs) he actually (laughs) had a good grasp of (laughs) what he was doing. So I was really excited to be a part of it and uh, getting to pair up with, uh, you know, all these amazing other chefs and getting to see friends again is, is really exciting. I mean, if I could interject, Eric, I mean, one of the things that, you know, really the reason I had had this idea kicking around for the chef camp or this mass reunion was that, you know, we do these events and over five days, it's kind of like these friendships that are forged in the fire of this kind of improvised three day prefix kind of thing where we hang out all week, work together, play together, go out to restaurants, all of those things. And I had all these disparate groups that knew each other. They had some sort of loose connection network-wise from one person that had done one event or another person that had done multiple, like Tim's been to several, Brett's been to several. Um, And I I always wanted these people to meet. And, you know, through the function of doing this and getting to know these people really well, um, the participants over the years, I also know of all these individuals that have so much in common that have never had an opportunity to meet outside of, you know, period or outside of maybe a quick event where they hang out for a few minutes. And I wanted to bring all these connections together um, because, you know, as you saw during COVID last year with all the pivoting that restaurants had to do, like this is a very, you know, uh, do it yourself, go your own way type of um, industry that gets things done. I'll, I'll go for Ryan's record, but like, you know, they give no fucks. They, they get shit done really quickly. And, you know, you saw that during COVID, you saw these amazing things like Power of 10 initiative off their plate, um, you know, a million other examples of like community feeding community kitchens or like things like Tim's doing to, to combat xenophobia with Chef Stopping API Hate. And I wanted these folks to get together because I wanted to provide those connections because I realized there was so much that they could do with each other and help each other out. And that commune created this opportunity for us to do that. Um, you know, granted, I can't have 200 people there all at the same time over the two weeks, but there are, you know, we are being thoughtful in how we schedule people to put those con- connections together to allow, th- allow them to collaborate in some way, whether it's in the market or even hanging out or doing prep or family meals. Um, and it was just such a perfect vessel for that. So I was really excited to have this opportunity to get all these people together in one space. And Tim, I mean, you know, there's so much interest in, uh, like like Grover said, sort of anti-xenophobia and, and you know, the Asian American Pacific Islander community has really rallied in the face of, of some of these hate crimes and stuff that have been going on around the country. What, what made Commune seem like the right kind of opportunity to um, help get your message out? Um, yeah, back to uh, like what Grover was saying about the camaraderie that happens at these events that I think um, is really good for us. It's like chef camp or 
you know, turns into like chef therapy, you know, on some days, but also like that camaraderie, I think comes through really well and like, and how much fun uh, we have, but also that how fun that makes the events. Um, and so actually me and Kevin, who are both like DC chefs and had restaurants within one mile of each other um, for many years, actually didn't actually get to meet until um, one of the events that happened in Richmond um, that Grover was holding. And so that's actually where me and Kevin met for the very first time, not even in DC. Um, and so, you know, Chef Stopping API Hate was formed in response to the um, anti-Asian incidents that were happening um, throughout the pandemic. Uh, but it was also formed as a way to like celebrate our culture, though we were raising money to make sure that at first we were drawing attention to, drawing awareness and attention to the events that were happening and why they were happening. I think moving forward um, in partnering with, you know, um, Indie Chef Weeks and Commune, it allows us to start to like raise money so that we can start to celebrate Asian culture um, and more specifically within the food and beverage community where it plays such a strong role if you think about um, Chinese American restaurants and uh, even in relation to the anti-Asian events that were happening, a lot of them were to um, Asian businesses. And so we wanna make sure that we provide a platform or even provide funds or provide awareness um, towards those businesses, uh, specifically in the Asian food and beverage community. Well, and, and Tim, why don't you talk about kind of what you have, what you specifically have planned for Commune and kind of what people can look forward to? We're always at Grover's whim. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a natural kind of relationship that was developed. And, you know, in the conversations that were happening um, on our end and the nonprofit side and the relationships and partnerships that we were building, and then you know, what Grover was doing down there and always having a, like a very altruistic um, kind of mission in, in all the events. So it was kind of a natural pairing. And we were, we've, I mean, we've, we're obviously good friends and we've talked throughout the pandemic. And when all this stuff started happening, Grover was just like, well, what can we do to help? And so this was a very natural first step, hopefully, in, in how we partner um, to continue to raise funds towards something like this, but also to provide uh, fun events throughout the country, which is also like, you know, hospitality is, is the industry that we're in. I mean, we, sorry, Eric, just, I was going to say one thing. I mean, you know, Tim had had a really successful run at doing these, these takeout dinners. Um, and I noticed, just, you know, we'd had these conversations going. I saw what they were working on. I was really excited by it. And we saw, I, I looked at the list of the chefs participating. And one of the coolest things about this community of chefs that have gotten to know each other is that, you know, it is a network of folks that are willing to activate for causes they believe in. And so it was a really awesome opportunity to look at the list of chefs participating, see how many of our friends were listed on there. And then we thought about how do we take this to the next step? How do we progress once we start moving out of COVID shutdowns to create something that's not just a takeaway meal, but doing something that's more akin to an in-person experience. And since, you know, that is my forte and what we, we, we do, we thought, well, how can we help Tim's organization get off the ground, teach them best practices, SOPs, all of those things that are necessary to put on really exceptional in-person events. And as we were planning commune, I thought, well, why don't we just, you know, kick it off with this Houston deal and we'll figure out a generous way to make sure that we raise funds for your organization. We get awareness out there. We get a lot of folks in the API communities nationally and then also locally um, to be participants in this and kind of raise that platform all together at once. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about sort of who's coming? I mean, you know, if I kind of look back through sort of the the previous indie chef dinners that I've been to over the years, I, I mean, you're kind of a feeder for for Top Chef, 
you know, a lot of these people go on to become, you know, food and wine, best new chefs, uh, James Beard nominees, uh, that whole thing. And so uh, obviously I, I don't want you to list 200 people, but, but maybe give us, uh, give us some of the highlights. Give me, give me maybe five or 10 um, chefs that you're just super excited are coming to Houston. Yeah, I mean, if I could speak to one thing real quick, and then I'll talk about the list. But I think that I appreciate that uh, comment about being a feeder. I wouldn't say necessarily that's particularly any one person. It's more about, you know, we, for the most part, have operated on a referral basis for participants. And so that someone that's participated in the event that's in good standing, that follows our code of conduct, all of those things is a, is a positive attitude um, at the different events. We We lean on them very hard for referrals. We look for you know, the CDCs, the sous chefs, the folks that are about to step out on their own that, you know, are potentially going to be the next big thing um, because we want to bring them in as part of the community, especially when they have the right, you know, ethical and moral standards and attitude. And um, and I think that that's just grown over the years because we've done so many events at this point that like those tentacles are kind of getting out into the world. And so um, I think that that's happened. It hasn't been by design. It's more been about just trying to get the best possible people to participate. Uh, but yeah, like you said on Top Chef, I think this season there were five or six chefs that participated in this year, all three finalists that were past indie chefs participants uh, on the show, which was pretty cool to see. Um, and then, yeah, as far as the overall programming, I mean, there's a, there's a wide breadth of stuff we're doing. You know, I, I tried to set it up in such a way that there were price points available from as low as $40 all the way up to $500. So things that are more the gala style, you know, fundraising type events, the big collaborative dinners that you sit down. Um, you know, some of the things I'm most excited about, you know, we added something that I think is a really cool experience today uh, that went on the site that Joe Sasto, who participated in Top Chef a couple of times, he's gotten known during COVID doing a lot of uh, live streamed pasta classes. And so Joe is going to do a in-person pasta class with really fancy snacks, caviar included, um, along with, you know, Italian cocktails. And you'll sit there and you'll go through this whole experience with a very small group of folks in person making cavatelli and some other pastas during that. And then at the end, you'll get to sit down, have a meal with Joe, hang out. Um, and then we'll have kind of all your prepped ingredients ready to go. So you can take it home after the experience and, you know, enjoy it at home on another night. Um, I'm really pumped about the Turkey and the Wolf and uh, combi collaboration. So we've got uh, Mason Hereford and his entire staff, uh, Mason, um, Nate Barfield, Philip um, coming with Mason to do a collaboration during the day on Sunday, the 22nd, I believe. And, you know, Mason got a lot of news a few years back with Turkey and the Wolf because they got Bon Appetit's number one restaurant. A lot of people lost their mind over that. And then a couple of years later, this little sandwich shop in LA, Combi, um, Akira Kudo and Nick Montgomery's restaurant, um, it also got number one. And so they'd been trying to do a collaboration for a long time together, being the kind of those two outliers that got that, that high ranking uh, for a sandwich restaurant. And so I was really stoked that both of them were interested in doing this collaboration at this thing. So I think that's something that people should really check out that's at a lower price point. Um, I think the-, the and, and we should say, just to, just to put it in context for people, Turkey and the Wolf being in New Orleans is a restaurant that some Houstonians might've visited. Mason has come to Houston any number of times. He's done pop-ups at Real. He's done pop-ups with Becky Mass and Fluff Bake Bar. Yep. So, you know, that's kind of a cool combination of, of a place that maybe locals know, and then they may not know Combi. Yeah, I mean, I suggest you look it up. I mean, they're the ones that locally took that Combini setup, which is the the Japanese kind of convenience stores that serve really amazing food. And, you know, they're the ones that kind of in the U.S. started doing that really pretty milk bread with, um, you know, all sorts of different preparations, egg salad, you know, katsu, stuff like that. Um, it's a really incredible, what is it, 12 seats, I think, Brett? It's really small. It's maybe 12 seats. 
a sandwich place that also has some of the best pastries in Los Angeles. Um, and I'm very excited by that. Combi is one of my favorite little sit down spots. If you're ever in Echo Park in LA, I definitely recommend you try to get a seat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a really cool mashup from two really great folks um, working together for sure. Um, that would be one I'd definitely check out. And then, yeah, I mean, the collab dinners, I mean, the we're still kind of finalizing. The thing to know about the event is that we're adding programming as we go. Um, and the reason that's happening is because this to a lot of degree, I mean, yes, we have had some discussions with our kind of hand involved on what we want for programming to make sure we have the best guest experience. But, you know, we're leaning on these people that we know really well to kind of self-organize in some way. And so it's providing these opportunities for us to do these mashups with really incredible talent. You know, like you said, Food and Wine, Best New Chefs, Top Chef participants, people that have been multiple year finalists for James Beard and even James Beard winners um, to kind of come up with something they want to do that's fun. And I think that you know, going back to doing these other events, when you set them up in such a way that they have a really exceptional experience and are able to really get value out of being here and not just feeling like, you know, the, the talent that's been put out there to sell tickets for someone else, you get this incredible kind of collaborative magic and it you can taste it in the food, you know, and um, there's a bunch of them coming. I mean, I've got, we've got a bunch of degustation type pop-ups that are happening, like um, you know, I've got Winson, uh, Trig Brown. It's a restaurant that's been getting incredible press in New York out of Brooklyn that does Taiwanese fare. Um, Tim can speak to how incredible it is. You know, they're coming down and doing a one night pop-up. This is a restaurant in New York that seven days a week has a two hour wait. Um, you know, I've got Kevin Tien, which we spoke about the co-founder with Tim of, of Chef Stopping API Hate. He's coming down and doing his Moon Rabbit restaurant, which is, uh, has only been open a few months, but has been getting all sorts of accolades. And I know there are a bunch more in the hopper about to come out. And, you know, that's another very high end, you know, Vietnamese tasting menu type experience that you'll be able to come and have at commune one night. And then we've got these late night pop-ups too, that are happening, you know, typically between nine and 10 o'clock until the wee hours of the morning with mashups like Farrell Alvarez of, uh, Rooster in the Till in Tampa is going to be doing a mashup with Misty Norris of, um, Petra and the Beast, she's a food and wine best new chef. They're going to do kind of like a some sort of collaboration dinner. Um, let's see. And the, the one that for food nerds is super exciting is the Jeremy Fox, Kim Alter, um, Justin Severino, Justin Yu dinner, uh, which we're calling Los Gatos Gang, I think, because of the connection to Manresa, which is a really famous multiple Michelin star restaurant in Los Gatos, California. Um, and like, you know, that's something that you know, I don't think they've ever done a collaboration in 15 years together, if I remember correctly, Brett. And so I was pretty excited that, you know, as a, as a piece of being friends with them, that we were able to convince them to come down and do this menu. Um, but I mean, it runs a gamut. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. And it just depends on what your appetite is and what kind of experience you're looking for. Yeah, Brett, let me, let me bring you back into this. I mean, who are maybe a couple of the people that you're most excited about sort of seeing again or, or experiencing their food? Um, definitely. Uh, Farrell and Misty's collab. I'm looking forward to that. I've never had either of their food, both really awesome people. Um, one of the people I'm looking forward to meeting the most is Kerr Evans, who's going to be participating on the, the second half of the festival, holding another fundraising dinner for any mass incarceration. Um, I've been hoping to meet Kerr for a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, he actually got uh, this morning, he got awarded world's 50 best. Um, what was it? uh something for change i can't remember but he got a big award for as an activist this morning from world's 50 batch which yeah. is pretty exciting Sorry um, to interrupt you, Brett. <laughs> no all good yeah i'm looking forward to uh the uh we're doing a daytime deli um which is going to be really fun um doing like Kanan, 
she's coming. She's and, like, and Libby Willis. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be a fun pop-up during the day. Check out some of their new stuff. Yeah. Talk, talk about that just for a, a quick second, because, uh, you know, Jewish deli is, uh, is very close to my heart. You know, my grandfather was a, a kosher caterer and, and, uh, just sort of genetically, like I, uh, you know, I have to go to Kenny and Ziggy's, which is kind of our, our go-to Jewish deli here, probably about once a month for, uh, corned beef for lox or beef tongue or whatever well so zoe i met zoe actually at tim's restaurant two years ago when we did the event there and zoe Kanan was a longtime employee of christina tosi at momofuku milk bar um, and she was a james beard rising star pastry chef finalist um, in 2019 i think i think it was the same year tim um, she was the pastry chef at the freehand hotel in new york before that whole thing changed over after covid uh, but she was running this incredible bread program um, like you Google her, you couldn't find an article that wasn't talking about her in 2019 and 2020 pre-COVID. Um, and she's a Houston native. She grew up here. She was actually an ice skater. She used to skate at Sharpstown Park. Her mom is the curator of the film program at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. Her dad had a barbecue trailer, if I remember correctly. So like they're very ingrained. She grew up in the Heights. Um, and I didn't know about that until I met her in person in DC and then realized all these connections we had because my parents grew up in the Heights as well. And um, I'm really excited about having her come down here. I'm not allowed to talk about what they're doing, but her and Libby are actually consulting on a project somewhere related to this idea. And that's one of the cool things about Commune is that all of these really awesome things that are in the process or in the pipeline for opening right now, they're going to basically do their deli as an R&D project for part of this. Um, and like, if you've ever had any of Zoe's bagels or any of the stuff she makes, it will blow your fucking mind. Um, and I'm really excited about that integration. Um, as part of the event. And especially like, you know, if you Google Libby Willis, Libby's the longtime owner of Mimi's Diner, which was a LGBTQ like staple in Brooklyn. There's a bunch of funny memes about it going back in the last year or two that are like, I'm laughing about even thinking about it out loud. Um, but she's an incredibly talented cook. And when I found out those two were working together and we had this opportunity to have them come down and do this, I was, I couldn't have been more excited, um, especially with the fact that Zoe's a Houston native. Tim, how about you? I mean, what are you, uh, what are you kind of looking forward to or, or, I mean, have you been to Houston before? I, I you know, do you, are there uh, restaurants? Tim is friends with McCool. Tim's friends with McCool. You know McCool. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the Belize. Belize. The Belize. From Belize, yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually the only time I, I've been to Houston in, um, in my adult life, I guess, uh, was for uh, McCool's wife's 40th birthday. Um, I forgot at some swanky hotel over there in Houston. Um <laughs> But actually, like, hotel. Um, but like what I was always most excited about doing these events um, with Grover, like pre pandemic was always going to these events and like getting to like cook and also like meet and hang out with like all these chefs from around the country that I admired. And there's not many opportunities um, like outside of your city to have that kind of like cross pollination. So I always thought that was super exciting. Um, and so like, basically like every, every day, I guess I'm learning about all these new events that are happening at Commune. Um, I was especially excited for the Colombian and Turkey and the Wolf um, collab, mainly because I admire both all of them so well, but also like, you know, we've gotten to cook with almost every single person from Turkey and the Wolf because they've come to every event. They're, they're just kind of like the most like badass down to earth people. And so to see them do a collab like this, where they're both like, you know, number one best new restaurants in phone app is, is actually a pretty exciting thing. Um, other than that, like, I, I feel like the other thing that I'm most excited about is I think we, we do these events and we collab with all the chefs and like, I, I feel like 
I've met most of these chefs at least uh, at one of these events, I think it'll be really special to like reconnect post pandemic. Cause I feel like during the pandemic, there were a lot of connections lost. And just because we, we had to all like, you know, get in the trenches and pivot so hard that like, you, you know, there's nothing else to think about. Um, so to be able to come back and do something like this, but almost have everybody that um, I've ever met through Indie Chef Week or just in general in the industry, all in one place is a very um, exciting and scary proposition at the same time. <laughs> yeah, Definitely a little terrifying. <laughs> All right, uh, Grover. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you, and because uh, you're you know we know each other personally. I know you're a pretty opinionated guy, but if you pass on this, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll pretend like I never asked it, and I'll move on to something else. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of controversy around uh, the winner of Top Chef, Gabe Morales. He's been accused of some pretty untoward behavior. He got fired from Commodore uh, for it. When you're when you're putting an event like Commune together, what do you do to kind of evaluate who your participants are so that it represents the organization well, represents the charity well, represents the sponsors well? Uh, because I assume you you don't want to have any sort of similar like scandal come out about any of the chefs. Well, so I would say one, there's never a 1000% foolproof way to do something like that. I mean, um, you know, even speaking for myself, I mean, every single one of us has something probably that we would prefer not to be out in public, public domain. Um, you know, I was obviously disheartened to see the stuff about Top Chef. I know Gabe, I know, like I said, five participants that, that were in this season, this season. Um, you know, from our end, what we do to try to mitigate that risk is one, like I had mentioned earlier, it is a referral based process. Um, and part of kind of that referral process is that when we have those discussions with the chef, when they're referring to someone over, it's their responsibility as, as the referring chef to make sure that, you know, the mission of the event, the way that we talk about people's attitudes in the event, the way we talk about people's behavior um, is translated to that person before our call. Um, and the way that we maintain that integrity is that I basically tell somebody if Tim were to refer, you know, uh, John Doe and John Doe comes in and, you know, causes a lot of problems or has a terrible attitude, like, you know, Tim's involvement in the event moving forward is at risk um, based on that because they're they're vouching for that person. You know, some of the things that I've learned, you know, lately is that, you know, especially with a lot of social justice coming up and the fact that I am a white person who's lived a very, you know, lucky life and I haven't dealt with the same sort of, you know, that issues that a lot of people have to that don't have the same, you know, lucky situation that I did um, is that that referral-based system does have some limitations. And so, you know, we do have to work always to improve that process to make sure that, you know, it isn't, it's not becoming an exclusive type process. We are including people that maybe aren't necessarily in our typical, you know, network, if that makes sense. And so, you know, it's, it's this kind of multi-pronged approach. You're never going to be hundred percent sure, um, but we do maintain a very strict code of conduct. So participants are required to sign a code of conduct that basically states, if you distill it down, like, you know, don't be an asshole. Um, your behavior can impact the well-being or, you know, another person's um, well-being at the event or their experience. You know, we have a very strict policy against drugs um, of any kind. We can have an argument about whether or not cannabis is a drug, but um, that that's kind of our rule. And then obviously like an event like this, you know, we do typically have spirit sponsors or beer sponsors and things like that. So we don't, we don't exclude the use of alcohol, but we just say that, you know, any sort of thing like alcohol that's being used during the event cannot impact your ability to participate in what you signed up for. Um, and that it doesn't impact your behavior around the other group. And, you know, I maintain that 
code of conduct very strictly. I mean, we've had to 86 people in the parlance of the industry, but we've had to ask people to leave before their the conclusion of their participation because you know they broke the rules. Um, and it's a bummer. I hate doing it. Uh, you know, there have been a, a handful of people that have honestly become sober after one of these events because of their behavior, um, which honestly is a positive outcome, I think, in that situation when somebody comes to a realization they have an issue with substance abuse. Um, but, you know, it also has created me enemies in the industry because they think that I was unfair or, you know, didn't give them a longer rope on behavior. But, you know, it's of the utmost importance to me that every person that participates has a good time and that we don't have to deal with something like that. And I think as long as you maintain that, it maintains the integrity of the group, it maintains the, you know, the positive environment. And I think it's made a big difference in the last five or six years of doing that. And we've been doing it very strictly for probably, I think, three years. Um, and so that's, that's how we do it. Now, you know, is it perfect? No, but we do everything we can to, to do as good of a job as we can. And we're always looking for ways to improve the process. No, I, I think that's a really reasonable answer. And I appreciate you being willing to address it. Um, let, let's shift to something um, more positive because we've talked a lot about kind of what chefs can expect or why a chef might want to participate in this experience. Um, we haven't really talked about kind of the amenities for, for the diners, for the customers. So, so maybe just kind of, cause you're, I, I don't even know if we've said this yet, you're taking over the Heights House Hotel um, to stage yes. this. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been to Space Cowboy uh, not a lot of kitchen there, so obviously not enough, not enough cooking capacity to power all the the things that are going to happen. So, so maybe just talk about all of the things that you're doing to transform that venue into what it will become for Commune. So months ago, when I kind of this idea started coming to something that I decided that I was going to go ahead and go for it on, um, I reached out to Jen Braverman of Jen Design Company. Um, I had a, a longstanding relationship with her, both from a personal relationship because of a family member that's friends with her. And then also we had worked together on the event in the past. And I basically told her it was time for me to cash in my chips on a favor. And I wanted to do this crazy idea. And, you know, we looked for locations. Um, Ryan Lashane, you know, everybody's favorite F-bomb dropper um, called me or I called him to talk to him about you know, what I was thinking. And he's like, you know, you should go talk to Lyle and Nick Scurfield. They're, they have the same PR person about Heights House Hotel. And so I drove down there and took a look at it and had Jen meet me over there. And, um, you know, the idea just started becoming a reality. And I was put in touch with a lot of really amazing vendors in town, Input Output, which does a lot of lighting design, Limitless, uh, audio and sound based out of Austin, Object Fab. Um, I don't want to forget anybody. Uh, North CNC. Um, uh, there's a, a guy named Taylor that does lighting projection stuff. So I, I was put in touch with all these folks and we started kind of coming up with this overall schematic and idea of what we wanted to do. And it worked in perfectly with the hotel. Um, and Nick did a really wonderful job introducing me to the ownership of the hotel. And we went through a series of quite a few meetings to figure out how we can make it work. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with the location from a personal standpoint. It's five minutes from my house. So my growing family won't miss me the entire two weeks that it's going on. And it just made sense. I wanted to do this idea where we live, worked and played in the same location. Um, and I just think it's going to be such a great venue. Um, it is getting quite the transformation. Um, part of why we're on this, on this podcast is that, you know, it, we're doing this at a really great expense. Um, I have that entire street market, which is the first part of the property. Uh, the commune street market is being fabricated from scratch. You know, I wanted to do this grand tasting kind of thing, um, but I hate grand tastings. I don't like going to a field, um, going to a bunch of tents spread out and getting stuff in a boat. And I wanted to do something that was more, you know, akin to a restaurant experience. And so I thought, how do we do that? You know, my wife grew up in Southeast Asia. 
I've done a lot of traveling in my life. I started thinking about how do we make this experiential thing that makes you feel like you're in a street market somewhere else. And we, we landed on this idea with projectors and building these amazing kiosks and providing all the lighting, electricity, and sound in order to create this kind of all, you know, I wanted to be there. I told them, I want to take, I want people to take pictures of this and post it on Instagram and somebody go, are you in Singapore? Right. I didn't want it. To, I wanted them to be confused when they saw the, the tag being Heights House Hotel. Um, and I think we've accomplished it. You know, so that's the first piece. So we, we did this because we knew if we brought 200 chefs to Houston, we had to rotate through the 200 chefs and get them as part of the programming. And the only way to do that is a grand tasting. And so we thought, let's do this amazing street market. We'll run it, you know, concurrently with some of the other programming. We'll do it five nights a week. And so that's how that was born. Um, so I think like based on the pre-sale numbers, that seems to be a pretty big hit with the city of Houston uh, or the guests that are interested. You know, the second piece of it is the south side of the property, which is what everybody who's been to Heights House Hotel, and I know they're doing, you know, great covers over there. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been there. Um, we're basically converting that dining area near the, near the pool into one dining area. And then we're building a second dining area on the south side near Cavalcade. So I have 15,000 square feet of outdoor dining space um, that's covered. Um, we are going to bring in some circulatory air systems to kind of cool down the temperature a little bit. It will be a little warm. But we're going to lean into that idea. Um, but you know, that's where we're handingly doing these pop-ups. It's basically an amorphous dining room that I can reconfigure depending on the programming that night. So we can do huge collaboration dinners outdoors with up to 200 guests um, or more if I hated myself, if I was a bigger mascus than I am. But, um, and then we can also do these pop-ups um, concurrently at the same time, like when we're doing Winsong and, and uh, Moon Rapid at the same time. And then it's also a great vessel for uh, these late night pop-ups because I needed a way to feed the chefs um, at night. So they wanted to stay on the property and have fun together. And so we thought, well, if we're going to do that, we might as well do an a la carte offering for guests. And so we have this kind of this slate of two weeks worth of really amazing late night pop-ups. They're going to run from nine until midnight or 10 until 1 AM, depending on the night. Um, so that guests can come up, grab some food, have some extra cocktails that have been designed for that experience, um, and go from there. And then, you know, the question is you mentioned the kitchen at space cowboy, uh, we had to bring in a lot of equipment to make this work. I mean, I'm impressed by what Lyle is able to put together in that, in that small space. If you've been in that kitchen, it is no bigger than my closet. Um, and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> it's very small. Um, and so we knew if we were going to have 200 chefs participating in an event like this, we had to bring in, you know, a bigger set of equipment. And so I have two 55 foot commercial kitchen trailers. Um, there are nicer kitchens than most of the kitchens I've spent in my career in restaurants, uh, that are being delivered and installed. Um, along with all the bells and whistles to go over that in order for us to do the prep production and all of that and organize across all the chefs. So, I mean, this is like a major production. I hate calling it a festival because I'm for the most part, anti-food festival in general terms, but um, it is a festival because we're basically having to do festival design in order to accommodate this many chefs um, and this many guests over two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it just, it sounds incredible. And, and really, I just personally, I couldn't be more excited. I, I mean, I, you're right. It's going to be, you said it's going to be warm. It's going to be goddamn hot. I mean, there's just it's Houston, it's August. There's just not really going to be any way around that. You know, it is. Hopefully it is. it'll be, hopefully it'll be dry, right? Like hopefully whatever this, this rain, this rain dance we've been doing collectively as a city uh, shifts out and, and, you know, the tropics stay relatively quiet and we can, we could sort of get this whole thing in. That's, that's the one thing that keeps me up at night is, is the weather. Um, Temperature wise, if you look on the website carefully, there's a lot of little kind of Easter eggs all over the website that say things like come sweat with us or, um, you know, it's like Burning Man except food and no drugs and the uh, fire is the is the Houston heat in August. Um, but, you know, I, I knew that that was gonna be an issue. It was more important to me that we had a safe experience um, for everyone, you know, 
Um, you know, by state law, I'm not allowed to require people to provide proof of vaccination, but all of our participants have voluntarily provided us with proof of vaccination. Um, so every chef that's coming to participate, every staff member, every volunteer is vaccinated. Um, we're not requiring vaccinations for guests. Um, I kind of saw that. I saw that in the tea leaves, I guess, way back that it was probably to be made illegal for me to do that. So, you know, we're doing it outside and that was the safest way to do it. I didn't want to have a situation where we did something this large scale and had an outbreak of COVID not to get, you know, back into the negative stuff, but um, yeah, it will be hot. It's going to be part of it. Most of the stuff is geared towards doing later at night after the sun's gone down. And because of the way the hotel is arranged and the exposure of the sun setting on the West side, it will make a big difference. And we do have coverage and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, the rain is the one that I'm, I'm, my fingers are crossed that all of this wet weather right now is going to, flip the other way in about a month and we'll have some nice dry, you know, temperate weather um, in August and September, but yeah, it, it's going to be hot, but it'll be a fun experience. We'll all kind of communally enjoy it together. So. Yeah. And, and let me just, uh, you, as you said, you there's been some pre-sales tickets go on sale to the general public this week. How's that, how's that process going? Are you, you satisfied with what you're seeing so far? Um, and, and kind of when do you expect to have, everything available for people? So I would say 80% of the program will be listed by the time the uh, actual general public sale goes up tomorrow. Um, it's been quite the process, uh, figuring out a way to create a user-friendly website that you know is easy for guests to navigate to find all the different events that are going on. And so I am happy with where it's at. Um, you know, the pre-sales have been very strong. Um, you know, we've had honestly, more signups the newsletter than I expected. I mean, I think people are definitely ready for an event like this. Uh, as far as when things are going to be listed, you know, most of the programming is up now. By tomorrow, I'd say we'll have 80% of the programming listed. And then by the beginning of next week, all of it will be up there. And if we add anything after that, it'll be because a couple of the chefs came to me and said, hey, we have this idea. You know, we want to go with it. And it's just too tempting for me not to put it up there. So, you know, I'd recommend people check it out over and over, you know, to see. And we'll, we'll post updates on our social media channels. And if you're on, our, I definitely recommend you sign up for our newsletter um, because anytime new programming is added, we'll send out an update. So, you know, it's there and available to purchase. All right. Well, I, I mean, I think that kind of covers everything that I wanted to ask you about, unless there's something you'd like to discuss that we haven't already. Um, no, I mean, I just, I want to, you know, I'm really excited about what we're kicking the event off with, with Tim's dinner. You know, we're still kind of hashing out who's going to participate, but I know as of now we've got, you know, Tim's participating, Kevin Tien of Moon Rabbit, who, by the way, worked at Uchi for a year or two when he was in Houston before he went on to DC to become, uh, you know, darling of DC, no offense, Tim, um, and chef of Himitsu. Uh, but I'm really excited about that dinner. I, you know, that cause is very important to me. I'm really happy that we can help you know, Tim and Kevin move their organization onto the next step. So I would definitely, enjoy, I definitely would recommend people check that out. And I'd recommend they check out the street market because, you know, we don't have the specific chefs listed up there yet. We're kind of still working through that. That's the last layering of programming that we want to add in. But, you know, the street market is going to evolve every night. It'll be different lighting, different imagery, different chefs. Um, and so if you have fun one night, I would recommend you go back and, and check it out again because uh, it's going to be different every single time. So, so how does that, so basically you just buy a ticket for that night of the street market and it grants you entrance and then you, you buy just a la carte, whatever there is to. No, so, yeah. So basically the way it's set up is that when you buy your purchase comes with, depending on your purchase type, it comes with food from every stall for one person plus a drink or two, depending on the ticket. Um, and then 
there will be cocktail servers. And so if you want to get additional cocktails, we have a bar set up. They will bring drinks to you. I don't want you to wait in line. We have seating areas everywhere. If you want to buy additional food, you're able to ask your cocktail server for additional, basically like little passport stamps. You can go back and get try it the same thing again. Um, but your purchase includes the overall experience. You can just add more to it if you're there and want to stay a little bit longer. Um, because it was, it was important to control access. We want to know how many guests were coming and those types of things. Um, and so that's why we set it up that way. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it now. So for Friday, August 27th, it's uh $140 or $175 for early, early entry. entry and uh so that's actually a good deal. so you get you'll get 16 bites for that entry fee plus a cocktail and seating and and it'll be comfortable and and the whole thing. Yeah, and we're limiting access too, so it's not like it's going to be a cattle call. So like if you want to hang out for three or four hours and have some drinks and eat it slowly throughout the time, you're going to have plenty of space to sit down and enjoy yourself and do it. You will not be waiting in lines. Um, you know, we're looking at maybe a hundred to 150 guests at most throughout the four or five hours that it operates. And so, you know, I wanted it to be a very intimate experience. And I think that's what it'll be based on doing that. Tim, Brett, do you have any other final comments before we wrap this up? I don't think so. God help us. Yeah. I can't wait to come sweat with you guys in person in Houston. <laughs> Tim's nice. going to be here. Yeah. Tim's going to be here the whole two weeks. Uh, all right. Well, Grover, give us the, uh, give us the website and, and everything people need to know about commune so that they can see the schedule and buy tickets and, and do all of the things. So if they would like to uh, get on our newsletter, they can go to indie, indie right now, um, which gives you kind of a preview of what's going on. And then tomorrow, uh, it will flip over. If you go to the same website, IndieChefs.com, it will show you the full slate of events. You'll be able to buy tickets, find out additional information, see the chef roster, all of that jazz. And again, it's just IndieChefs.com. And they can follow us at Indie Chefs Community on Instagram. And this old man set up an Indie Chefs uh, TikTok. And that's at Indie Chefs. I'll try to figure that out one day. Right. And we, we should say, you're saying we're recording this on July 6th. Oh yeah. Tomorrow sorry. is July 7th. And then this podcast comes out on July 8th. So when people are listening to the show, it is going to be online. It's all going to be on sale and they can, they can go to IndieChefs.com and, and start buying. Which yes, will be sir. They can. For everybody. It will be. I can't wait to see everybody there. I'm really excited to show off the city of Houston to the visiting chefs. And I'm excited to show the visiting chefs to the uh, guests in Houston. I know we've all been waiting for something like this for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So um, Grover, Brett, Tim, thank you all very much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. We really appreciate it. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.